0: What's happening runners? Welcome back to another episode of the Trackster podcast, the podcast where we talk about everything running, the highs, the lows, the ugly bits and everything in between. My name is Lloyd. I'll be your host for today's episode and I'm absolutely buzzing to be welcoming professional marathon runner and content creator Philly Bowden to the show today. On today's show, we sit down with Philly and talk about the club system in the UK and whether any changes need to happen within it the move to Team New Balance Manchester and what becoming a professional athlete means for her life and what content creation is really all about from the other side of the camera. Now, if you do want to follow along with what we're doing at Traxter and this podcast, please do head over to our Instagram and drop us a follow. And you can also check out our website, traxter.com, where we put all of our longer form content from our YouTube channel. You can register to our running newsletter to keep up to date with what's going on around the running world. And you can find all of these podcast episodes on there. Two. Now, just in the last week, we found out that we are now ranked third in the UK for the complete list of running podcasts in Great Britain on Apple. And we couldn't reach that ranking without all of you guys listening and leaving us reviews. So if you do want to support the show, please leave us a review, which is now available on all platforms. So without further ado, I'll shut up with the intro. Welcome to the show, Philly Bowden. All right. Welcome to the show, Philly Bowden. Philly, how are you?
1: Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Just got back from a rainy run, so hair's still drenched. Feeling very alive on this Monday morning, yeah. Where
0: are you, where are you right now in the world?
1: I'm in St. Moritz in Switzerland, at
0: Oh yeah, you're living a hard life up there. I've heard it's beautiful. I've seen photos from uh, a few of the Loughborough guys up there at the moment and it just looks scenic beyond belief.
1: Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to be up here in the mountains with the, you know, all the fresh bread and lovely Swiss things. No, it's really good. I feel very lucky. We've um, been pretty lucky with the weather as well. A little bit of snow, but a little bit of sunshine as well. Can't complain.
0: You know, I was, we'll get onto we'll get onto all the things running uh, later in the conversation. But on Saint Moritz, so I had a friend go there once, um, and he said how expensive it is there. Are the rumours true? Yeah. Can you give us give us a example of how expensive life in Saint Moritz is?
1: Let me get you a genuine example from <laughs> chicken. Chicken that I was very excited to get my hands on this morning. Uh two chicken breasts reduced from about seven pounds to four pounds seventy-two in wow. the freezer. Can't wait to eat oh, okay. normally priced chicken. I'll just put that back in my freezer.
0: Yeah, when he when he went out there, he got a haircut, and I think it was like forty pounds of um, oh, for, yeah. like a tiny little trim. Haircut, yeah. Blimey! Well, yeah. well, I hope you're having a good time in St. Moritz. Obviously, preparing for Copenhagen Marathon, which is in how many days now? Thirteen. Thirteen a week on days. Okay, we'll get onto that. Yeah. Uh, we'll get onto that later in the chat. But I want to start the conversation with how we start all of our episodes. I want to talk about the start of your sport journey whether that was athletics or not talk us through how you got into sport and then how that did eventually translate translate into uh, athletics
1: i think i was just one of them kids with like too much energy and uh quite a bad sort of i wouldn't say i was just a bit of a naughty kid so like i had energy that needed to be put into sport so i was doing like karate i was a scout as a kid i think i joined the basketball club like i was just doing anything and everything um got given the opportunity to skip I think it was either maths or English in year four to go run around the football pitches and try out the primary school cross country team because so that was a no-brainer Um, did that through primary school and then weirdly I didn't take up running after that I was doing sort of loads of other things and it was in secondary school a few years later when I just went to the after school cross country club and my first coach Les Raymond, who was the coach down at Bracknell AC, said to me and my best friend who went to the club, oh, I should probably come down to the Athletics Club because you two are like a bit above average. I think you probably said it nicer than that. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, that's when I joined, joined the Athletics Club. And then it became my sort of, you know, your classic Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday from the age of about, I suppose, like 13, 14.
0: Yeah. We, do you know what? That's so common with all of the guests that we spoke to from the UK that have come from club system. It's so common. Yeah. It's literally like that, 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 copy, like that blueprint of, yeah, just, you know, got into it at school and then someone thought I was half decent and I went down to the club and then Tuesday, Thursdays, and then 10 years later, thing. <laughs> so that's, that's yeah, really exactly. awesome. I love that. Um, and obviously you eventually uh, worked your way through the domestic scene, if you like, and signed for old shot and district talk us through how that came about to, to, from from Bracknell to AFD obviously not million, million miles away but how did that happen
1: yeah so Bracknell was always my local club my dad actually was a member of Bracknell AC back in the day so he even like, his old coach was still coaching down there and he'd run with Jeff Seddon Gary Marlow back in the day so it was all sort of like familiar um and then when i went to uni i think i trained with the uni squad at Brunel for about a year but they're a lot more sort of like lower end of middle distance sort of 800 focused and I was definitely looking to, to go in the opposite direction at that time um, and then it was actually my ex-boyfriend who, uh, who I was with at the time who was at St Mary's and um, said like oh we'll just just come over and join in with a few sessions at the weekend and obviously Mick Woods is over there I was after a few months of that I would started to go into Aldershot sessions at the weekend because they were nearby and then I think it took me probably about a year to then transfer over because I thought oh like Bracknell's always been my home I didn't want to leave but then it very much became well I'm down here four days a week anyway my coach is here my friends are here this is my home now um so yeah changed clubs and and then haven't looked back but in the uh red green and white ever since
0: Yeah, you come from such a good crop of athletes from over the years. Um, But that sounds like quite a natural move, to be honest. You know, we hear of moves from club to club and sometimes they're a little bit more controversial, but that sounds quite wholesome and nice. So that's good to hear. Would you say that you love the club system and the whole club athletics scene in the UK?
1: I think so. Like, I think... I'm obviously biased because I've come up through that system and that's my journey and I've enjoyed it. But for me, it like, I'm a big believer that everything happens for a reason. And I think, the way the club system is devised is that like when you're a youngster you you get out what you put in but it it doesn't put too much pressure on you because your coaches are volunteers the people that run the meets are volunteers there's they just want you to have fun and do your best but there's no sort of like price on your shoulders like you have sort of in the American system Um, and I think what that meant was that I did it to the to the level that it was fun I probably could have gone for a few more easy runs in my week but I didn't need to when I was through the age groups and that kind of held me back I think and then meant that I was a bit more of a late bloomer in terms of like finding my my talent in the sport if you like which came from hard work rather than just being you know someone that won races from when they started doing it um and I think that's a big part of why I'm still doing it now and just having the longevity in the sport.
0: And now you are a professional athlete, and we're going to talk about uh, yeah, you you pulling a face there. Like, how's it? How does it sound when when you when you hear those words?
1: It's a weird one because I've I've heard a lot of people talk about like what defines a pro athlete, you know, and and all these definitions from are you a professional athlete? Are you an elite athlete? Are you sub elite? And I think it's a little bit neither here nor there, like in this day and age and in the UK because it's like from the outside looking in someone might expect that if you're a professional athlete that's what you do and nothing else and you know you could go out and run and do your races and that's how you pay your bills when in reality very few people you know are able to do that so I love the fact that I can you know be over here and and really commit to my sport but at the same time like I've got a job as well (laughs) because I wouldn't be able to survive without it.
0: (laughs) Yeah I mean you're you're training in St. Maritz. so I'm gonna I'm gonna call you a professional athlete whilst you're out (laughs) I think you're much more pro than many people right now, but um, yeah, there's a couple of points you mentioned there about um, the perception of being a professional athlete in the UK and having a job alongside it and paying bills. And we're going to touch on all of that as we sort of merge into the content creation side of your career at the, uh, at the, at the moment later on in this conversation, but just finishing off on the conversation around club athletics, you competed at all levels and you're now pro where, you know, You've opened, you've got doors that are opening for you in the pro circuit. Where, when you are a domestic athlete, even when you're at the top of domestic athletes, those doors just are so hard to open. Now, looking back at the club system as a whole, with all of your experience, are there any flaws within it that you feel could be improved through your eyes?
1: I think. I think just looking at the fact that it hasn't changed since my dad was a young athlete and doing you know Watford Opens or you know the Southern League or you know the road relays part of that is is really pure and really lovely and that you know running doesn't change much in the sense that like a 5k to a 5k you can dress up however you want but at the same time I think that to keep our sport growing and to keep the younger generation interested, I think it does need to slightly change and come in come into the but today a little bit. Um I don't know what the answers are to that, but I think just sort of, you know, making a bit more of an effort perhaps with the social media scene, the content scene could be part of that. And also trying to think of new or creative ways to get Young athletes excited about doing the road relays, or you know, creating these kind of club rivalries, that sort of thing. Some clubs have really got that going on. I think of, I think of Aldershot, I think of Highgate, I think of Leeds. But um, a way to kind of, I don't know, create a bit more of that buzz because people like to be competitive, and I think that that brings a lot of people into sport.
0: Yeah, I love that. I think the Gen Z uh, demographic, the age bracket of sixteen to twenty-four year olds, is is one of the hardest to, to grasp. And one, especially once you go past 24 years old, I mean, I feel like a dinosaur now when I'm talking to certain, certain athletes, uh, (laughs) I was talking to a 17 year old athlete the other night. And I was was, like, mate, we're on two completely different planets. (laughs) Uh, I think, yeah, that's a, that's a great point that the sport probably does need to be able to grab hold of those young athletes and and be able to keep them in the sport as long as possible by uh, relating to them. I think, I think that's, that's, that's the main important things. So, you did your debut marathon last year, two hours, 34 minutes in Seville. What yep. did you learn from that experience, not just the race, but the whole preparing for a marathon?
1: Um, I think I learned that it wasn't as scary as I thought it was going to be because it's been something that I've wanted to do as long as I can remember that the, the I knew what a marathon was like I think I was at school and one of my PE teachers had done it and come up to the front of assembly with their charity vest and their medal and sort of told us about it and I think that was the moment that I decided I wanted to do one when I was probably like 14 or something um but it's so different to you know you look at the distances that we do on the track or on the road and you know you can do a half marathon but doubling it and trying to run anywhere near the similar pace is like quite terrifying um so that really scared me sort of building up to it and then I don't think I've ever been more nervous for a race in my life (laughs) like I was just sick with nerves but you know you prepare for it properly and then you just do the thing so I think yeah I learned not to be so so scared of it um in the race itself gosh you you've gotta there's I feel like compared to other events there's a lot less down to chance in terms of like you know roughly where you're at and, and what you can run so you've got to be really sort of sensible and disciplined with the pacing throughout the race and you know whilst people have breakthroughs I think there will always would have been signs of that in training so just chilling out or almost just switching off and falling asleep for most of the race because it might feel easy for 15 miles but it certainly won't for the last five um, and I also learned that perhaps 200 milligrams of caffeine sort of 22, 23 miles in doesn't agree with me. So I won't be doing that again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Dare I ask more? We'll, we'll touch on, um, we'll touch on Copenhagen and a few little bits around that uh, in, in, in a few moments, but we mentioned earlier in the chat about, uh, you know, professional athlete with team new balance, Manchester. Now, For anyone that doesn't know what Team New Balance Manchester is, what is is it? Who is it? Who are they in in your own words?
1: We're just a group of like-minded runners that live just outside Manchester in the mighty north. I'm a southerner at heart, but I might be being converted in certain areas of my life. I drink Yorkshire tea now. (laughs) There we go. Um, Yeah,
0: we all do. It's the best.
1: (laughs) So there's a a good group of them that um, live in the athlete house um, Izzy, Adam, James, Hannah—forget people off the top of my head. Um, yeah. So I mean, we're all in the same sort of area up here, all training for like different distances, all the way from 800-1500 all the way up to marathon. Coached by Helen Clitheroe, and we, yeah, we sort of we, we train together, sort of five, six days a week, and just live in our own little bubble. Really,
0: that's mega. And how did that? How did that come about? How did that new chapter land on your desk your doorstep?
1: I think I was quite lucky in that um I was already coached by Helen when she joined Team New Balance Manchester as an assistant coach. Um must have been 2021, 20, I think she joined, might have been early 22. Um, and I was, you know, buzzing for her. It's like a no-brainer and but a dream if you're a coach to be able to be given that opportunity not many of them exist in this country um continue to be coached by her from a distance while I was down south and then it was just as a couple new people joined the team and I just got chatting to her and said like you know it would be my dream to join a team like this or to you know just train with a group of professional athletes um and she said it, it was after I'd run the marathon at that point and she just said to me well if you're serious and you think you can like You've just got to commit to moving to Manchester. So I was all in at that point. Like bloody hell, I didn't think I'd get you know this opportunity. And then it was just asking the question to my partner as to whether he could let go of being so close to London. And he he was you know straight away jumping at the opportunity as well, which was really cool.
0: That's so good to have both you know team players on the same field there. Like you know Daniel obviously the other half coming through and saying yeah I'm game would have been a bit of a stick in the mud if you'd yeah. gone ah you're right. <laughs>
1: yeah i always thought because he he's literally lived in london since he finished school because he's an actor by trade and you know that's that's where you want to be and we've moved out to Reading, and i thought god i've got him an hour out of london i've got no chance getting him four four more hours up the country um but he really surprised me so yeah you dug your claws
0: in philly and you got him up, the, up, up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> be in scotland next
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah just keep going you'll be in shetland soon uh well if <laughs> If it works, it works. Well, in terms of the new setup, uh, the new opportunities, everything we've become pro athlete, ha- how, how has it changed your life so far?
1: It's flipped it on its head. Like I look back to this time last year and there's, there's very little other than just the fact that I'm running that is the same in my life. I, I, this time last year, I was still working a nine to five desk job. Full time as a civil servant working for the government, and I quit that job a few weeks after moving to Manchester. It was all part of the plan. Um, I set up my coaching business, and I mean, I was making videos this time last year, but that's just grown and sort of snowballed throughout the last twelve months. Um, Yeah, in, in terms of like my time as well, like I can be just incredibly flexible with what when I do work when I when I train obviously my life is basically crafted around the running now so that comes first and then I recover when it makes sense to recover work when I feel like working and when it suits me um it's yeah something I probably could have only dreamt of when I was a kid I think
0: yeah but you sounds like you've got your ducks in order without sounding too corporate um (laughs) that's that sounds mega that sounds really really cool and in terms of um team New Balance Manchester and the pro athlete lifestyle if you like um are you able to give us an insight into the support that comes from being part of the team is it as simple as there's a salary and other levers like a normal nine to five that you used to or is it completely unique in a way that's
1: set out for you it's different, yeah, it's different for everyone that's on the team. Um, I mean, you, you join Team New Balance Manchester, but then you also have your own relationship with New Balance, and that will depend on, like, where you're at as an athlete as to what that sort of contract entails. That's in terms it. of, like, the support that the team itself gets, we've got a really good relationship with a local gym that, you know, provides us membership. We can you can use that as and when we want to. Um, we've got really great physio support. I see Chris Brammer up in Manchester, who's just... An absolute genius, like the sort of guy, the way you walk in the room, you say that something hurts, and he just like either fixes it or tells you exactly what it is, even though you couldn't figure out what it was. Um, and then, I mean, I think a lot of the benefit I really enjoy is, is just the culture of having a team around you and being surrounded by people that are trying to do the same or a similar thing. Um, I mean, being able to see my coach, like, I think I'd probably actually seen Helen in person like maybe three times across the two years that she'd been coaching me before that not least because it was COVID but see so yeah, her like only five times a week now <laughs> so it's, um, it's cool to be able to have that kind of just have your coach there and get that feedback um, yeah we're well looked after
0: that's amazing. That's brilliant. And that's good job you. Well, I hope you and Helen get on considering you didn't see each other for two.
1: <laughs> I did say that to her when I first arrived. Uh, everyone was sort of all over the place. And I had a session where it was just me and her. And I said, oh, you might, you might actually decide you don't like me in person. <laughs> you're so you're just chatting, chatting to me on the phone when she's driving around. I'm not. But, yeah
0: excellent that
1: didn't happen
0: luckily (laughs) brilliant that's that's good good to hear um you said about making videos you said that this time last year you was you was making videos but obviously it snowballed I really want to get into the nitty-gritty now of content creation I went on your website and it says elite athlete content creator coach so we're going to really home in on the content creation side of things because I remember conversation me and you had I don't know how long ago but you were doing a little bit of ad hoc uh commercial work and I was like, "Yo, you know, you gotta get paid for that, right? Like, you know, you can't, <laughs> you know, you can't work for free. You know, you're like, come on, like." And um, back yeah. in days, I I swear, you had like maybe a thousand subscribers on YouTube. I swear it was maybe a K. I'm maybe even like yeah, eight hundred, nine hundred, in them days. We're now looking at twenty one thousand subscribers on YouTube. Um which, you know, there's probably loads of other metrics that are through the roof, hundreds and thousands of views and and whatnot. But talk the viewers through how you got into YouTube, but then how you then said, do you know what, fuck it, I'm a content creator.
1: Yeah, I think, well, on the first question, it was something I'd been kind of toying with for a long time. I just, I thought I'd enjoy it and... I also saw that there wasn't that many people like me, maybe sort of sharing their their running stories on YouTube. It's quite a male dominated space. Um, And as with most things, I could just chat it through with my boyfriend, Daniel, and he was like, absolutely, like, you should definitely do it. And with him being sort of in the creative space as well, um, was very keen to sort of help out and be the one holding the camera. And we had that conversation, it must've been sort of like Christmas time, 20 to 21 and I thought yeah well we'll just have this conversation it'll fizzle out nothing'll happen and then it was a few weeks later when I was racing a half marathon he was like let's start the YouTube channel today it was you know it, him that was like let's get the at the time the phone out and didn't even have a camera or a microphone um and just just film the day and you know put something out there because he's like you, you can't wait until this perfect like idea that's just going to you know, break the internet because that's never going to happen with your first one anyway. You've just got to get a video out. Um, so that's sort of how it started. And we've, we've probably released a video every week, if not more, since then. We just got into a really good routine with it and just loved it. Um, I think it probably took me a good few months to feel confident enough to call myself a content creator or a video creator because I don't know why. Because I'd, I'd obviously I'd made content and I'd made videos, but I almost felt like I needed to be to sort of trust that I was good enough at it to say that and that's yeah. my own self-doubt creeping in I think if you've made a video screw it you're a content creator you know it doesn't have to be good <laughs> um, really isn't it but yeah it's I, I've just been egged on the whole time by him really because like, I can remember the first few videos we made as well him trying to convince me that one day it would make some money and I was like shut up like nah there's no way what like is this isn't <laughs> this isn't real i was like nah, i don't believe you. i don't think it will be you know successful enough or you know you know generate views to actually put money in the bank um but he proved me wrong so
0: big up daniel um that brings yeah. me on to the next question actually which i love it when it flows like this um <laughs> how do you make money as a content creator
1: so on youtube um predominantly it's the ad revenue so and I think a lot of people don't understand how this works I didn't understand how it worked until I started doing it but you basically get paid a small percentage of what YouTube um, generates from the ads that get put in the videos and YouTube will put their own ads in at sort of like right at the start and right at the end but once you've reached a thousand subscribers and four thousand watch hours you can become monetized on YouTube I think that took us maybe three months I think we monetized sort of like April May time last year so about a year ago um and then it just sort of like trickles in really it's like I think the first day we made like 87p or something from like it clicking over uh but no whole chocolate bar um and now I think it I don't. I still don't understand like exactly how the calculation works, but you know, if a video's longer and it's got more mid-roll ads in it and it gets higher views, then you know you'll make more money on it, and it, it sort of accumulates over time. So we'll still be making like one, two pounds a day on a video that was released like a year ago, which is kind of cool.
0: Okay, and when you um, because I spoke to Daniel, I'm going to speak to him at Watford Wednesday last year, um, and at that point I had the phone, just doing it on the iPhone, and yeah. And he literally said pretty much the same words that you said, yeah, fuck it, just put a video out there. And I was like, yeah, amazing. Um, But one question I've got is in those days where you, um, it sounds like you were literally just documenting what you're doing day-to-day, running to running, is it still the same sort of structure in the sense of, right, we're doing this in this month, we're doing this in this month, we're working towards this, just document it as we go? Or is it a little bit more like, because it's now a career, is it more targeted towards, okay, this might bring in a bit more revenue, be more popular? Because I see a lot of videos that are quite common in the space, and I'm not sure, yeah, I just want to get your idea on that. Like, how do you approach what you're going to put out there?
1: Yeah, so we definitely work backwards from, like, my running schedule because that's the easy stuff. Like, race videos will always do really well. So, like, if I'm racing, we're going to video it because people like to see that. And it's quite an easy video to create because you just kind of take the camera along with you. Um, And then we sort of work backwards from that and fill in the gaps. I'd say we're definitely more professional now than we were this time last year. We have a spreadsheet of a content calendar. So we kind of fill in the gaps. Um, when you're working with sponsors and getting brand deals as well, you kind of need to know it, like a couple of months in advance what you're doing. So, if you know, like HelloFresh come along and say like, we want to sponsor a video in May. Sometimes they might want a kind of subject title or they might want a draft of video. So you've kind of just got to be a little bit more organized. Um, but yeah, get inspiration from other creators, what they're doing and like, take inspiration from that, but not necessarily like copy what they're doing um And there are some videos where I'm like, that's a little bit low hanging fruit. Maybe I could make that, like putting out like five workouts to run a faster five k, or these sorts of things, which yeah. are still sort of at the back of my mind. But I like to try and do stuff that feels natural to me, and and that like I enjoy creating the content about because then it's it's fun rather than feeling like it's actually work.
0: Yeah, I like that. And suppose that the people that are going to be watching it regularly, you're. Followers, if you like, subscribers, um, they're going to be the people that are going to resonate with authenticity, um, which, yeah. is, which is which is, must be a great feeling. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask is because I watched one of your vlogs when you was in Flagstaff and it, Daniel wasn't there. And it was the day you did a session on the road with Hannah and Izzy. Uh, I, can't, I think it was Kay's um i think it was maybe your first head mount session yes the head mount session (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, all right this is so so funny first of all i don't think that was as bad as you probably think i thought it was really good but
1: you were there
0: (laughs) oh yeah no true I, i can imagine and that actually this is why my question is as it is with daniel not there what i want to know is What are some of the things that people don't see on the camera when it comes to creating content? Because you're training as a full-time athlete, i.e. out in the middle of Flagstaff, smashing a session, fucking dying because there's no oxygen, right? And you've got to manage your content, plan it, prep it, capture it, etc. Give us an overview of like some of the challenges that we don't see on the camera.
1: Yeah so I really wanted to share a workout video whilst I was out there and I mean I did I did end up doing one where the track workout was included in it as well but it was like finding someone who wasn't doing their own session who was willing to like hold the camera and then also like how good that would be in comparison to what Daniel does because he just knows what I'm doing and he knows what we want to put into it um so it does bring about challenges and that was the first that that was a going in the deep end really of a month without my right-hand man, who's always there kind of holding the camera and giving me direction and helping me, um, it was stressful. Like, cause I was like, oh, you know, I don't want to slip up on the consistency and we still want to get a video out a week and what can we do and what ways can we get around it? Um, and, yeah, the head mount session was <laughs> – I mean, it didn't go down well with with Coach or say That because – it's like, you know, you've got a, a GoPro on your head. Like, are you able to fully focus on the session? Is that having an impact on the session? And I think there were kind of a few words of that afterwards. And I thought, yeah, fair enough. Um, it's not something I want to do again because <laughs> it was just like not fun. But, you know, at the same time, it was a different perspective and it was a different style of the video. And, and we got it out at the end. Um, but yeah, I mean, and in terms of some of the other stuff you don't see, you know, I can remember in the early days not feeling as comfortable on camera and finding it really difficult to have something I wanted to say and then if I wasn't saying it exactly how I wanted to say it I'd go again and again and again and you get so frustrated and you're there for like 10 minutes trying to film like this 30 second bit and sometimes I'd say to Daniel like you've got to leave the room like because it's you I need to be here on my own Um, and you would be upstairs hearing me like flipping out but these days that doesn't happen we just kind of just kind of own the mistakes and leave them in there like if I mess up then I'll literally just say like what am I even talking about and we'll leave that in there because like it's real and then you don't have to get stressed about it as well
0: yeah I think a lot of people that maybe do any work in front of the camera could probably take take that advice on board and I wanted to ask you what are some of your top tips for any runners out there that are wanting to put themselves out there maybe they're like you were you're sit there they see a gap in the space that isn't fulfilled um, and they want to document what they're up to, but they're maybe a little bit scared in doing so. What What would you say to those people?
1: I'd say, like, just gravitate towards, like, what you would want to watch and what you enjoy doing in the filming. If you need to sort of, like brush up on your skills in this sort of filming and edit side of things like youtube is your friend there's so much information out there like daniel is completely self-taught in the editing space and like he, he now gets paid to edit for you know companies and other youtubers which is great um and i'd say as well like when you watch something back like being critical is is good but at the same time like there's i suppose there's a balance in that but it's it's about kind of keeping the pace in there sometimes, I think. I think sometimes you might be tempted just to sit the camera down and talk for 20 minutes, but very few people have an attention span these days that sort of lasts that long. So just just try and mix it up and, you know, be in different settings, be creative with it and, and just have fun because there, is, there isn't any, like, going wrong with it, I think. There's just, like, experimenting the whole time and learning.
0: That's really good advice. I, I'm really glad that you didn't just say, just do it. Cause that's like the shittest <laughs> advice ever with anything. Just yeah. go and do it. That was just, just, that mate? Yeah, thanks. But that's really, really good advice. And um yeah, we're gonna. I think there'll be, like I say, similar to the last question. There'll be people watching this or listening to this that are like, do you know what? That's really what I needed to hear. So, you know, maybe you'll have some competition too. And who knows? So, Philly, we are thirteen days out from Copenhagen Marathon, which is very fast approaching. Now talk us through the prep, how it's gone for this race, if there's any differences to the last uh, prep and yeah, just give us, give us your thoughts on it.
1: Yeah, it's been, um, it's, oh, it's absolutely flown by. I can't believe it's technically next week, but yeah, in terms of comparing to Seville oh, just over a year ago, quite a bit over a year ago. Yeah. It's February last year. I think, the mileage has been higher this time around. I think last time we were sort of in in, in uncharted territory in that sense. I, I kept it fairly conservative in terms of the volume and supplemented it quite a bit with cross-training. I haven't cross-trained much this time around or at all in the last sort of few weeks. The mileage has been a lot more, um, yeah, it's just been up there, a bit more consistent, a bit higher um hasn't come without its hiccups I have had a couple of illnesses in this block quite close together really frustrating me I think I took like four or five days off for a cold or or the start of a of a cold and then got an even worse one two weeks later which was super frustrating because I kind of got back into training had to come back down again but um I feel really good I've I've been recovering really well from big sessions the big long runs like towards the start of the block if I did sort of like 17 to 20 miles I'd feel I'd really feel it on the Monday um and I'm I'm sat here having done 18 yesterday and I went for a walk in the afternoon for board, but I wasn't like wiped out which is which is good it's a good sign that you've you've adapted to the training so I think I think you can do that you just sort of can push it up gradually each time you go into a block so we've just been sensible with it
0: And you mentioned that in your first block, you supplemented some of the miles with with cross training, whereas this time maybe less of those miles. Do you feel that you are, do you think that's because obviously your conditioning is improving?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the gym as well is another thing that that I should have mentioned that's been different this time around as well. I've pretty consistently been in the gym twice a week. And then we've we've cut that down to once a week in the last sort of like five to six weeks, um, just to sort of keep the key movements in there, but not lift crazy weights. Um, and, And last time around, I was probably doing some really basic sort of conditioning, but nothing consistently because I'd be—it'd be the first thing to go if I was trying to squeeze that in, like after a double day and a, a big shift at work. So yeah, that's good as well. And I think like we would have definitely done more cross training this time around if if I felt like I'd needed it, but my body's just responded really well to training and touch wood, like I've not had any any issues.
0: And in terms of the structure of your training uh there's so many different ways of going about it obviously in the marathon even more so but give us an idea of the breakdown of your week you know you two or three sessions a week you know what what sort of structure do you take and is that common across the whole team or is that what works best for you
1: yeah i mean i'd say my training is very different from everyone else especially at the moment like i feel like i hardly see everyone because they've been sessioning even on different days than than me whilst we've been out here so that helen can See their track session if they've driven down to sea level to go to italy i i stay up here on my own and do my sessions in the afternoon um so yeah it's a little bit different but it's similar to training the rest of the year round in that nine times out of ten i've got two sessions that week and a long run sometimes my one of my sessions will be kind of merged with the long run so i have like a long run session so i'll be running sort of 20 plus miles, but it will include some marathon pace work as well, which will then mean that, as well as my other session that week, perhaps I do like a progression run or something that's sort of not a long run and not a session again. Like it's kind of in the middle. So yeah, and I kind of I find out pretty much what I'm doing a week in advance. I don't get to see too far into the future in the plan, which I I respect and I think I I think it's the best way because Helen can change it in the way that she feels it needs to be tweaked but at the same time if I say oh can I have a little look at what I'm doing in the next couple of weeks we can we can talk about it and have a debate about it which is which is nice and that's coming to the fore a little bit more in the last couple of weeks with the taper where I'm sort of asking questions and can I do this or do you think I should do that and it's, it's good to be able to have those kind of conversations it's not like she puts down a plan and that's it.
0: And throughout this block um when you went in when, when you you know everyone has a day one of marathon training whether it's official or unofficial but Has your goal remained the same from there to now or has that changed throughout the block at all?
1: Um, I think towards the start of the block, I was wanting to sort of key off how I felt in terms of where I put the goal. And I also don't think that it's ever like just one goal because I've been really well sort of trained in a mental sense to have multiple goals going into any race so that we can work backwards from that and have an A goal, B goal, a C goal. And I'm always talking about that um, because I just think it's, it's a good way to make sure that you are able to be successful, whether that's across the board or it might just be in one area and there's always things you can improve on if you if you hit the B goal but not the A goal and et cetera. So yeah, I've kind of keyed off the training, but at the same time, like I'm a big believer in setting big, scary, lofty goals. So I've done that as well. And I think I find that really motivating personally as well. And it's not it doesn't it doesn't put too much pressure on me that I feel like Oh gosh, I've got to hit that goal. And if I don't, it'll be the end of the world. I see it as like, well, it's difficult for a reason. So we're gonna do everything we can to get there. And if we don't, I'll fall somewhere, you know, behind that that will still be a really good place and and know what I need to work on for next time.
0: And I want to circle back to content creation. Um and I this this popped into my head when I was prepping for this, for this call, and it took me back to <laughs> hate to call on it again the session in Flagstaff with the uh the head cam (laughs) um obviously this time around in Copenhagen I'm assuming Daniel's going to be out there with you
1: yeah he's going to come out for the race yeah
0: so how how will you capture the essence on the day out in Copenhagen and with you know anyone that's been to a mass marathon with thousands of people knows how crazy it can be how do you plan that whole right this is what we want the video to look like but daniel knew you need to be here but there's thousands of other people like talk us through that whole planning process that must be a bloody three-hour zoom meeting in itself
1: yeah a little bit i mean we can talk about work for hours and sometimes we need to be careful that we when when i catch up with him while i'm out here that we don't just talk about work because we really enjoy it um we're lucky that my dad's coming out again this time around so he was the person behind behind the phone camera last time in seville um, he did a cracking job actually he just rented a little e-scooter and saw me loads of times on the course filming on his iPhone and um, so there'll be a bit of that this time around as well I think they'll split up and um, I mean we've got one camera so I think we, we still need to decide like how we're kind of going to attack it but I think Daniel will be in charge of getting the kind of the Atmos shots and making people feel nervous through the edit by putting the music on it and stuff and on the day, like I might get a few little bits on my phone in the morning, but probably the day of, it'll be sort of in the zone, focusing on the on the race, and the content will, luckily for me, sort of take care of itself. I think I look at people like Ben Felton and how he just does it all himself and carries his camera in the race and things like that, and I just I couldn't do that. I I have to draw a line and put the rolling first, and then luckily I've got content afterwards because I've got I've got a little team around me that are capturing stuff for me. <laughs>
0: we your little minions
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and you can put a shout out on social media as well to say like you know if anyone that watches the videos is there get your phone out and film in landscape and i think people like you know having the opportunity to kind of contribute to the video as well and yeah drop me a message afterwards and send the footage over i've had that for a couple of races before as well which is really nice
0: have you got a name for your um band, fan base yet like um, no. One direction is. have you got any, Come on, we've got to have one for Copenhagen, surely.
1: No, I haven't. Perhaps I should put that to the people to to come up with something. I'm rubbish at thinking of those sorts of things.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to even try because I will say it's <laughs> a suggestion, ever known. But I'll leave that with you to figure that one out. Okay, so away from running, away from all of the splits and data and content creation and everything like that. Do you have any other passions in your life that maybe people weren't aware of?
1: I mean, it's hard to find the time for anything else in amongst that I, I did I did a few things over lockdown when I had nothing to do. I took up sewing and I made a patchwork quilt for my sister. um I have a sewing machine, but i can't can't say I've touched it in the last year, so I think <laughs> I've had a bit more time. I did a little bit of that I, um, quite enjoyed that sort of thing and um, And I mean, before we moved to Manchester, we did up up our house. We did that all ourselves, got into the DIY sort of space. God knows how we had the time while I was like training for a marathon, working full time and then painting the ceiling at the weekend. Like we we really gutted that house. So um, enjoyed that, but don't want to do it again in a rush. And I think the only other thing that's like a big influence in my life is my cats. They're like my kids. They're my children. I love them. We're like such classic cat parents and we do that kind of, oh, babe, you've got to come and look at the cat. You've got to come and look at the cat. And he'd be like, what's he doing? Being cute. And I'm like, yeah, but you've just got to look at him. And he looks the same as he looks all the time.
0: (laughs) Love that. Amazing. So we're going to (laughs) round this off the way that we round off all of our episodes, Philly. We're going to go with quick fire questions. So I'm going to shoot five questions at you. I don't want you to overthink them. First thing that comes into your mind, go for it. So number one, if you had a magic wand, what's one thing that you'd change in athletics?
1: oh that's a really hard question thank you I don't know I think like creating teams like that merges the club space and like um like an elite team that you can get behind so that people can play like fantasy athletics on like a smaller scale but I think it'd be really difficult to do
0: yeah, I do like the idea, and it has been—it's been mentioned, hasn't it, in different circles before. And it's always, wow, this could be amazing. Look at other sports, but yeah, the work that would have to go into it.
1: I think it would cost a lot as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but that would—that uh, would be a mega, mega change if—if if we had a magic one for you. Number two, what is the best thing about being a professional athlete?
1: Um just get into fun to like have fun and feel like you're a kid doing what you enjoy like playing sport and um just chatting to your friends every day it's quite a, a fun way to live
0: and the worst thing about being a pro athlete what's that
1: um I think it's like ha- probably having to do it when you don't want to or when the times are tough and I haven't I haven't experienced that for a long time, but I know that like, you know, if you're injured and you've got to just get in the pool or, you know, you're going for a tough period of time with it, it's carrying on when you perhaps don't want to.
0: Okay, next now, number, number four. What is a harsh truth that the running world needs to hear?
1: Um, hard work comes first, I think. I, I get a lot of messages from people sort of asking me for, advice or like the secret tip or what they can do to reach their goals and a lot of the time I'm tempted to just tell them to google it like because it's not rocket science you just got to put the work in if you know what you're doing you just got to build the blocks and be consistent
0: Yep, consistency is key love that and final one Philly what's one thing that you would like to have achieved in your life in 10 years time
1: 10 years time where did that put us 20 33 uh I'd love to be an Olympian
0: mega love that Philly it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show thank you so much for giving me your time best of luck in Copenhagen and uh you know if if all fails just 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 get the GoPro on the head again you'll be golden
1: (laughs) absolutely not can you imagine that in the race no way
0: (laughs) all right my love have a good afternoon I'll catch you soon thanks for having me So thank you for joining us this week for another episode of the Trackster podcast, where we talk all things running, the highs, the lows, the ugly bits, and of course, everything in between. Thank you to our guest, Philly Bowden, for her time today on the show. And if you have enjoyed today's lesson, please do give us a review and head over to our Instagram at Trackster to keep up to date with everything that we're up to, especially with the track season just around the corner. And you won't have to wait much longer for next week's episode, where we have another banger in store. We're going to be sitting down and talking all things running with marathon queen Charlotte Purdue live from her house in Surrey. You'll be able to catch this in audio form for your long runs on the podcast, or you can watch the episode on our YouTube channel where we'll be sitting down at her house over a cup of tea and having a chat. I've been Lloyd, your host for today. I'll catch you down the road for a run, but in the meantime, let's have a great week, runners.
1: It's more complex than the solar system, but all it takes is a few clicks and... It's Miro. I've used those technical shape packs way too many times, and stuff is just digestible on its infinite online canvas. Now, the final question. Everyone's brought in, but you have to make all these tasks all the way over in Jira. But wait, it's done. Is it... Miro. Easy with its two-way Jira sync. Easy to plot dependencies. Everyone always knows what's up. And she's done it.
0: Join over 60 million people creating technical diagrams without workflow glitches. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com.